done what is evil in the sight in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless, blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, bo let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltlessness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of, of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you. Ushers, you can come. Thank you. So Psalm 51 today. Um, we have been in a series about prayer. And um, uh, prayer is an important big topic, which has a lot of angles and facets to it. And so I'm excited to do this in the context of the Christmas season, the Advent season. And when I think about prayer, um, I wanted to show this survey to you. The slide should pop up on the screen here. Um, and our series is called Conversations with God. Um, my particular talk today is called The Posture of Prayer. But when you see this survey, one of the things that might stick out, it's, it's kind of tough to see, but there's a sad face, what I call a meh face, and then a happy face. And so if you were to count all those up, it would show that 72% of the people are at five or below when you ask them how you would rate your prayer life. Five or below. So 72% are meh, kind of, I'm not happy with it. Or it's eh. um, Even closer look, 40% are three or low. So halfway between a frown and the meh face. 40%. So why am I sharing this with you? There's a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, if you woke up today and you feel bad because you hadn't prayed for every unbeliever or every sick person before lunch, I want you to know that you're not alone and you should not feel bad. <laughs> we all want a greater prayer life and we're not going to get there by feeling bad. So in some ways, I want you to know where the rest of the church is. Um, but the other thing is that I feel like if we start to think about why we don't pray or why our prayer life isn't where we want it to be, then maybe we can make some meaningful change. And I know for me personally, sometimes it's like, what, what should I pray? Like, how do I pray? And we want to be conversational with God, for sure. Um, and at the same time, like, it feels like, man, God, am I just babbling to you? What am I saying to you? So I'm hoping that by focusing on what I think is one of the greatest prayers in the Bible today, that that'll help augment your prayer life. So with that said, 
Um, and, I, and I guess the other verse I want to say now, I'm going to say it a couple times during our time together, is Ephesians, or Hebrews 4.16, which talks about approaching the throne of grace with confidence. Approaching the throne of grace with confidence. So that's what we want to be able to do more of. So, what Allison read um, does not really fit with what most of us think of when we think about David. Okay, I'm going to show you a picture of him, the famous uh, a, a, a sculpture made by Michelangelo, um, at least half of it, um, the top half of it. Um, so when we think of David, we don't think of this broken, contrite man that Allison, the verses that she read. Well, first thing that always comes to mind for me, always, is the verse from Acts 13, 22, a man after God's own heart. That's like the first thing. But maybe your mind might go to Psalm 23, where he talks about the ultimate shepherd and being cared for by the ultimate shepherd. Um, another one is maybe Psalm 16 or Psalm 142, where David talks about God making known to him the path of life. So like, that's like the ultimate, like, that's what we all want. We all want his will and his specific will. And David gives us an example of when he did that. Um, another one, First uh, Samuel 16. And there he's the, oh yeah, that's right, there's another brother, another son. And then next thing you know, he's anointed. <laughs> so like, that's a powerful uh, season of life for David. Um, going on from there, First Samuel 17. In that chapter, he talks about, killing the lion, killing the bear, and then ultimately saying, I'm going to kill Goliath too, through God's power, and then he does it. Um, continuing on, um, 2 Samuel 6.14, we read about David dancing before the Lord. So like he is so in love with God, he dances. Maybe that was the first charismatic worship service, I don't know. But he absolutely let go in front of the Lord in a free and complete way. All of those things come to mind first before I think of Psalm 51. He's on top of the world as he submits to the Lord. But that's not where we find him in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, he's broken. He's completely broken. How did he get there? So a quick get us up to speed to how he got there. Um, first of all, he was not out in front in battle, okay? Uh, normally he was. As he was this conquering king before this particular event, he was out in front. He was leading his men. He was leading by example. We don't know why, but for whatever reason, he stayed home for this one. We don't know why. And that night, as you would read in 2 Samuel 11, he was out on the rooftop, which is a normal thing to make use of that space uh, in Israel back in the day. And he noticed the woman Bathsheba bathing. And while he could have, been, uh, could have decided to walk away and turn away, he didn't. He lingered. He sent for her. He slept with her and then was made aware of her being pregnant. He then panics um, and asks for her husband to come home to try to cover up the, the, the pregnancy. And Uriah, being the man of honor that he is, doesn't sleep with her. They even get him drunk. He still doesn't. So then the next layer is David sends him back out to battle and orders those around him, the leaders around him, to pull back so Uriah would be killed. And ultimately he is. So David or or orchestrates all of this because of his sin. And, and then ultimately Bathsheba grieves after this death of Uriah. And then David takes her as his wife. So 
this is like, if, if you really think about this, the heights that David is, like the, the continuum of this, it, it just makes you shake, like if you think about it. He has experienced closest with God as much as any other human being, and now we see him fall into this way that he is. Um, in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan comes to David, and Nathan was a prophet in, in David's court. So he was, he was a David guy, right? He was a God guy first, but he was, he, was in, he was on the team, so to speak. And David goes through, this is 2 Samuel 12, he goes through and tells a story of a man who gets taken advantage of, and, you know, David's reaction is, you know, we got to make that right, that's not right. And, and then, of course, Nathan goes on to say, you're the man. You're the one who took advantage of someone who had less. And so what we see here, the application point, the heart check here, the first heart check in my mind is to say, do you have Nathans in your life? Do you have people who, if they came to you in love with the word you didn't want to hear, would you respond? Would you turn them away? That's not directly related. That's kind of a bonus one for the day. But I think we have to ask ourselves that question. Ephesians 5 talks about submitting one to another. So in any point, in any time, someone could come to me and the Lord could have sent them. I have to respond. I can't use my position or what I think, however smart I think I am, to, to turn them away. I need to listen. Thankfully, David did, David did that. So that's where we find us today. This is right after he has gotten this direction, this, this word from the Lord from Nathan. So we're going to go through this chunk of Scripture, and what you have in your notes is what I think a great place to go if you don't know what to pray. Because while you might not be having recently arranged for the death of one of your generals, having recently been caught in adultery, sin is sin. And it's something that we're all going to deal with until we get to the other side. The enemy is the enemy, and he's still going to come and tempt in the same way that he tempted David. So to have a, a path when you say, I don't know what to pray, I say put Psalm 51 on your list. And so the way that we've laid this out for you is I have it broken down into five categories, um, six categories actually, and there's notes for you. So you can take a blank one home and use it on a different day. Uh, today you might use it to add additional notes, but I wanted you to have a little bit of room uh, to write extra thoughts that you might have from today. So starting with verse 1 and 2, I won't reread them because Allison already read them, but those are the verses. And the, the heading that I had here in my preparation was, here's David begging for mercy. Here's David recognizing that his only hope at this point is to receive mercy. He is at the end of himself. He went down the road and he tried to do this and he tried to do that. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit got him and he responded. Here we see him using three different words for sin, transgressions, iniquity, and then straight out sin. And he's calling it out for what it is. He's doing it having fully experienced God's love though. So here's where we can definitely draw a connection with him. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In these verses, David says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. This isn't something he's wondering if it might be. He's knowing it's been there. He's tasted it. He's seen it. So here comes that verse again as it relates to us today. 
Hebrews 4.16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. He does that. He's confidently begging for mercy, but he's coming to the one who knows loves him even when he doesn't feel lovable. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is why we sing Jesus as the center. We have a Savior in Jesus who not only can say, yes, I, I throw my love on you, I lavish you with my love. He can say, I can relate to temptation. I can relate to the, 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 the reason that you're begging for sin. I didn't sin, but I know what you're dealing with. I've seen it. So we can relate to us. So that's another reason to look to him as our source. So I, my heading there is begging for mercy. You might have something else that, that way you would label that as you approach the Lord. But however it is, the, the, the takeaway, come boldly and come humbly to our Lord. Verses 3 and 4, I titled this one ownership slash confession. So he completely owns what he did. Um, in these verses, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, it's fair to say, didn't he do something evil against Uriah? Didn't he do something evil against Bathsheba? And that's true. But here's what I think is the, the big application to this. If I, if, I come, if I start to think about who I've sinned against, inevitably, I'll kind of start to stack up my track record to theirs. Or I'll start to do a little blame shifting. Well, if you wouldn't have done this, then I probably wouldn't have responded that way. I mean, I'm sorry for what I did. I shouldn't have done what I did. But if you wouldn't have done that, if Bathsheba wouldn't have been out doing what she was doing, then he never would have had this problem. Is that a, is that a fact? Well, that's a fact. Yeah, right. But thankfully, what he shows us is that's not what you do. You completely own it. Because the one that you're going to first, the one if you rightly say, I'm going to him first, the Lord... And no, there's no blame to shift to him. <laughs> He's got, there's nothing that you can put on him. So if we're willing to own and confess fully with a, with a complete, earnest heart to the Lord, we've got the right posture now in prayer. One horrible consequence of our sin also is that it can replay in our mind. That's the tactic of the enemy. And think about this. Think about how many times, like David's history, all this great conquest that the Lord, and he, he didn't ever say it was him. He humbly said, it's you, Lord. He always gave the Lord the credit. And, and he's at this place now, like how often must it have crossed his mind? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? And then the next thing, and then the next thing. But if we confess, the Lord allows us to see those things as forgiven and completely gone. It has to start with a full confession, though. Verses 5 and 6, self-awareness. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Okay? Here's one thing. On the other side, But you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So complete contrast. Here's the world, but here's where the Lord is. He recognizes that this world, he knows, is a broken one filled with sin. That's just the world. It is what it is. He's not offering it as an excuse. But he's also making the point that you are a holy God. And I want this to come back to truth and righteousness and, what, and be about what you're about. 
I, I call this self-awareness because I think this is a place where the enemy can start to creep in or can really creep in. I was thinking back to being a kid um, and, and thinking about that time when you get caught doing something and your mom or your dad say, who do you think you are doing that? And I always wanted to say I never did this, but the, the response I always wanted to have was the better question is who do you think I am right now? Because I know I'm in trouble and uh, this is bad, so I never said that because it probably would have been worse. But as you think about this contrast between living in a world of sin and knowing that God demands righteousness, like, who do you think you are in the middle of that? I'm going to tell you more, but you're a child of God. You're forgiven and set free. So it's important for us to be aware of our environment, but it's also important for us to be aware of who we are in this environment as forgiven, free children of God. We must allow our position in Christ to inform how we pray to the Lord. Otherwise, we're limited. We're not going to be able to go forward if we just think we're, we're stuck in this battle of, you know, it's sin, a sin-filled world. I got no choices. This is just going to keep happening. No, we're able to be overcomers if we see our position in Christ. So moving on to verses 7 and 9. I call this one David's humble request. With full awareness of his position, David makes his request to the Lord. So the hyssop thing, I just had to know what that was. I've read this a bunch of times and never bothered to dig in. It's a plant, and it was just part of purification rituals in the Old Testament. So that's what he's referring to there. It's pointing us towards purity and what the Lord expects. So that's what you can take as an application point. The Lord wants purity. And what I had to do here was link this to the New Testament. In 1 Peter 1.17, it says, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He has ransomed us from where we were to become like a lamb of God without blemish or spot only because of the blood of Jesus. So David, David's heart here is to say, make me pure. And what he effectively is doing to us now is pointing us towards Jesus and the power of the blood because that's the only place that we can fully be pure and receive purity. I saw this quote this week, and I think I sent this over as a slide. Um, it says 0%. This is the percentage of sin in the identity of the born-again Christian. Like nothing. There's nothing there. Meditate on that this week. If you fully submit to the Lord as your Savior, you have the righteousness of Christ on you. You're pre-forgiven, you're currently forgiven, and you're post-forgiven as long as you receive by faith what Jesus offers to you. This is like, this is not new, but like just seeing it phrased that way, zero percent. Jesus doesn't see your sin if you're in Christ. That's the greatest Christmas news we could ever have. And that's what's required, okay? So as we think about this Psalm 51 prayer, David was pointing to now, to the time of Christ, to the time of Advent, to the time of him coming to be with us. As he wrote this, this is like, because God exists out of space and time, right? So this is all tied together. 
So 0% is your number. The next section, verses 10 through 14, I call this one the pain of sin. There's consequences. Um, David reminds us in verse 11 that sin separates us from God's presence. Being in his presence changes us. Choosing to walk in sin separates us from him. And David is feeling that here. Now, the way the Holy Spirit functioned in that day was the Lord put it uh, and, and, uh, on, on people. And so David saw Saul operating without it. He became the anointed one and then operated in the full power of the Spirit. And now he's like feeling the weight of, oh no, like look what I've done. He's begging for the Lord to say, don't take your presence from me. We have presence, the Holy Spirit's presence upon becoming a new believer in Jesus. He comes to us that way. And so that's the, that's the New Testament covenant now. But sin still separates us from, from the Lord if we don't walk in that presence and, and seek to be restored. So that's the most important thing. I love the way one commentator uh, put it. He said, we must admit that our sin is a result of our sinful rejection of the way of God for our lives. Our refusal to accept our position as the beloved child of God leaves us relying on our own human abilities to manipulate, intimidate, deceive, and overpower others in order to get what we think we need. Isn't that what David did? He totally stepped away from the way God had him leading and went in his own path. I got to have that woman. I'm going to have that woman. And then I think that's going to be it. And oh, wait, now I got a problem. She's got a baby. So I'm going to go again. I'm going to continue to manipulate and overpower and use my power to get what I think I want. And what this one commentator said is that's just simply walking away from the way of God. So sin becomes the only option. At the bottom of our sin issue is walking away from the way of God. And the only way to stay there is to realize that it's him that we need. It's his presence. We must allow ourselves to see our position in him in order to walk in the way of God. How many uh, have sung the song, Created Me a Clean Heart, O God? What a great simple prayer that is. It's familiar to, to most. Um, and it's just a way that you could, you could fire that up in your home and worship to him and just simply say, Lord, bring your presence to me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Even within this section of verses, that little verse is a great path towards a, a time of prayer and worship to the Lord. As I pointed out earlier, it's not just the big sins. And that's why, like, like I, think, I think about this text as a place to, to talk about prayer because, I mean, who could say they were closer to the Lord? And who could say they screwed up as bad as David? I mean, maybe there is someone. But I feel like this, this just helps me relate because sometimes these biblical characters, it can seem so far, but it's like, no, like, he, he, he was so close and he was so bad and yet the Lord welcomed him in and forgave him and allowed um, the Holy Spirit to speak through him to us right now. So that means that I can follow this path that he's laid out in prayer. All right, we're coming down the home stretch here. Verses 15 through 19. A right response is what I wrote. He says, in verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. 
you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you won't despise. This is so powerful to me. This is so powerful. If you think about what he's saying here, he's saying is, it's not about the physical show. It's not about just checking a box. It's about the inward man, the inward woman. It's about the position of your heart. David knows he screwed up here, but the Lord is working in him to communicate, hey, I will always respond when you come in a broken way. What's a broken way? A broken way is a way to say, I can't do this alone. I need you, Father. I need you in my life. I need the power of your Holy Spirit. I can't do this by myself. I have to do this in community. If, if Jesus showed up on this earth and surrounded himself with 12 people who were not the top of the heap, I think we should follow his example and surround ourselves in community. Wouldn't you say? If there ever was a, a person who could have said, all I need is myself and my Bible, it was Jesus. Because <laughs> he was his Bible. He is his word. But he didn't. He surrounded himself with a community of people to, 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 to model to us that we need each other. So brokenness says, I need you, Lord. Brokenness says, I need, we need each other to grow and, and to reflect his love to the world. To be contrite is to be willing to recognize your failure and your fault. And so if you take nothing from this, if you say, I'm just waking up now, Matt, what do you got, what do you got for me here? I got to get going. Take that brokenness and contrition will not be ignored by God. His word says he will not despise that. He will respond to that. So bring your brokenness, bring your contrition to him, and he will respond to you. Verse 18 says, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then, then bulls will be offered on your altar. Here David brings in the community. He basically says, as I rise up, as I come out of this, I'm going to speak your word. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And then as a result, the community around me will respond. He's making it, and he's coming back to what we'll do together. We'll offer up offerings together. So I think about that, and I think about, about church today. And I think about past renewals, or another word is revival. And if you read about this, these are things that started with just a small group of people on their knees saying, Lord, I'm broken. I, I, I want to confess this, or I'm, I, I want to confess that I haven't confessed that I need you. <laughs> and that's where it starts. So my hope as I think about these verses and, and how David's sin, and at the end of this, eventually led to him being restored and brought, built back up, how that affected his community. I think about us now, and I think about, wow, we're in a state of transition. And we're going to call the whole church to pray after the first of the year. And we're going to call you to prayer and fasting. We're going to talk about what that means. But I hope you'll participate with us. Because as I participate on my own, as we participate in our house, things change. Things change. And, and as, a, as a group of people, we can see here what David predicts will happen will be right before him. As I was preparing for this, um, in Allison's study, she pointed me to Hebrews 10. And um, there's a ton there, but, but it, in Hebrews 10 verse 10 says, and, that by we all, and by that we 
have been all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It goes on in verse there, in verse 14 it says, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So I think about at the end of this, David talking about his community, and I think about how all this relates to Jesus. It all comes back to that one sacrifice that Jesus made. It all comes back to him coming and being willing to be humiliated as, as a king who came in a manger, suffering and dying and being raised, risen again for us, being raised up again for us. Micah 6.8, one of my all-time favorite verses, says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Again, the Lord will not despise a broken, contrite, humble heart. So my prayer is that you would respond to that today. So as we, as we start to come to a close, I think about this, I think about Christmas. Luke 2.11 comes to mind. It says, For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I think about all of it being wrapped into Jesus and the Christmas story. May it never get too familiar to us. May it never get so familiar that, oh, it's just something that happens once a year. It's the most amazing story ever. And David points us to that. David points us to that. The city of David, the Savior was born there. What can we bring this year to the, as our gift to the, the child-born king? The wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they, but they also brought themselves. They also came a long way. They gave a lot of time to come and see him. Would you stand with me now? So I want to pray first for, if you're here today and you would say, I want to learn more, maybe you would say, I want to just accept Jesus as my Savior now. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I'd ask you just to raise your hand because I'd like to pray with you. So you'd say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior today. And if you're here maybe and you would say, I want to grow my prayer life. Um, I feel like I am a person of prayer but I do fit in that category of, man, I'm a five, <laughs> or I'm a three, or I'm a one, and I want to just say, hey, Lord, draw me deeper in. If you want prayer for that now, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for all of us that would. Yeah, so Lord, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for your word. Jesus, it still blows my mind that you can be your word. Certainly, I don't do everything I say. That's why it's so hard for me to understand, but you are. You lived perfectly. You walked perfectly. And your word is your bond to us. And in there, Lord, the, the, the word says that you, want, you won't despise a humble and contrite heart. So, Lord, I pray that you would find us there now. I pray that you would find us humble. If you're not, I pray that you would get us there. Ultimately, what we're about, Lord, is being holy. Your word tells us you're coming back for a holy church. 
So whatever it takes to get us there, let it be so. Lord, I pray that you would find us contrite. I pray that you would find us aware that we're far from perfect. But that as we step into your righteousness, you see us like you see your son. Lord, may that truth hit like never before today. For everyone who will hear this now or watch it later, let that truth touch our hearts. Please thank you, Father. We're going to worship a little more. In Jesus' name. Come thou fount of every blessing Attune my heart to sing thy grace A streams of mercy never ceasing a call for songs of loudest praise oh, Teach me summer, Lord, a song A song by flaming tongues above oh, Praise the mountain fixed upon it Mount of thy Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Oh, Jesus, love me when a stranger wandering from. Like a better by my wall. 